0: Chapter 121. Machu Picchu, Peru I was going to have another bash at the Royal St. Claudius at a different site. The most famous site for the species is called Abra Malaga. Abra meaning pass. It's the highest point on the road to a town called Kiabamba. Several buses left from Cusco, but all arrived in Tambo at 10am. This was a bit late, but the only option, unless I was going to hire a car or taxi, both of which were very expensive. My girlfriend didn't want to stay behind again, so decided to brave the altitude. She got very sick on the bus over 4,000 metres on the way to Cusco from Lima, and was very brave to try this high altitude again. She'd been in Cusco at 3,300 metres for several days, so I hoped that she was used to the altitude by now. The pass was at about 4,200 metres, and from there we had to climb over a mountain ridge and into a hidden valley beyond. The road was being improved and we arrived at the pass quicker than I had expected, about 11.30. The driver told me that the bus went back down to Oyantaitambo, Tambo, passing here at about 4pm. Just four hours to find the bird and get back to the road. Before getting on the bus we got some nice hot water in our thermos and bought some coca leaves, which we stuffed inside with some sugar to make some nice mate de coca to help us with the altitude. We also bought some bread and cheese for sandwiches. Following the instructions in my book, we walked back down the hill from the path, and then cut up on a path up and over the ridge. It was very misty, and we couldn't see much. We took a break and had our coca tea and cheese sandwich, which tasted great. We continued to the top, where, looking down, we should have been able to see the forest in the valley below, but we saw nothing but mist. The trail continued down the other side, and I hoped that this would take us down to where I wanted to go. The mist started to lift a little, and we arrived at the first patchy areas of trees. Further down, it resembled a forest and got really mossy. I saw a few nice birds, including the white-browed tit tail again, but no syncloddies. The book said that the syncloddies liked areas next to a wall where there was extra moisture and moss. I couldn't see a wall, but I realized it was kind of a small cliff being referred to. I searched more, running up and down the steep slope, but no syncloddies. At the bottom of the valley, there was a nice patch where I saw another ash-breasted tit-tyrant. Normally I'd be delighted, but I was pissed off because I couldn't find the real prize. We needed to start making a move if we were to catch the bus. Instead of walking all the way back up to the mountain ridge, the book said that it was possible to walk down the valley, which eventually spat back out onto the road, 15 kilometers further down than where we got off. It was a pleasant walk down the valley, which was very green and grassy. There was some alpaca further down and a couple of houses. We were greeted by a little two-year-old girl walking around on her own a very surreal sight in this spectacular and wild landscape. Her mother was sitting by the river further down with her baby. We had a little chat with her, and I told her that I was watching birds. I always do this just to let people know what the hell I'm doing here. Locals often don't see that anybody would want to do this, therefore they're not too interested in ecotourism schemes. At the bottom of the valley was a little bit of forest where I saw the little green Andean parakeet. We made it back to the road before 4pm, but had to wait for ages. We asked a couple of locals, and they said the bus came past about 5 p.m. It passed 5, and when it started to get a little dark, I became really worried that we weren't going to get back and would freeze up here. I'd already forked out $44 each for the train, which left at 8 p.m. We started to walk, but a bus came along soon, which was a real relief. We got back with plenty of time and had a nice chicken dinner before walking down to the station. It was a bit chaotic down there, with hundreds of people waiting in a narrow street to pile onto the train to Aguas Calientes. The base for Machu Picchu. The next morning, we walked up to the ruins at Machu Picchu in the dark so we wouldn't have to fork out for the bus. The forest was coming alive with bird calls, but it was impossible to see anything in the twilight. We entered the ruins and enjoyed our first view over them. There were some bushes below a viewpoint from where some Inca wrens were calling like mad. While everyone else was snapping away with their cameras, I used my microphone and recorded the wrens. The ruins were pretty spectacular, but a bit sameish after a while and we spent most of our time exploring the lush subtropical forest. There were loads of birds, and we met a nice Peruvian birdwatcher, too. We left the ruins and walked down the same way we'd come up in the morning. It was pretty dark walking up, and I saw a lot more birds on the way down, including a really spectacular species called a masked fruit eater. We were exhausted and went back to rest in our cheap hotel. After a nap, I went out birding again along the old railway tracks to look for a cock-of-the-rock lick. These are one of the most beautiful birds in Peru. The males are big bright red birds. It was almost dark when I got to the spot described in my book, so I only heard them and I saw a silhouette flying away. Back in Cusco, we had a farewell meal with my father and said goodbye. The following morning, I'd arranged to meet the president of ECOAN, Ecosistemas Andinas, a conservation group specializing in the Peruvian Andes. I wasn't sure what to expect from Tino Auca. I stood outside the Cross Keys pub on the main plaza, where we had arranged to meet, and a short chap in a suit came up to me. All our emails had been in Spanish, but as soon as we met he started speaking in fluent English. We went to a cosy little café round the corner, where he ordered a coffee and I a mate. He said on the phone that he was very busy, and it turned out that he was organising a major international conference on the conservation of polylepis forests. These forests are where the critically endangered Royal St. Claudius are found, which I had already failed to see twice. Luckily, he turned out to be a world authority on the species. He liked to talk, and he told me where I could find them. I was also keen to find out what Ecoan was doing to protect the bird's habitat. He gave me lots of information, and we had an excellent meeting, only interrupted by a phone call, which I assumed was from his wife or girlfriend. He referred to the person on the other end as mi amor, but it turned out to be his tailor, which is a bit odd. He told me how much he liked wearing suits." He drew a little map of Mantanai, where I'd been. He drew different patches of forest that I recognised from my trip up there. He told me that there was two pairs here and one pair here, etc., and I realised that I'd been searching in the wrong place. This was exactly the information I needed on my next trip up there when I would camp. Our hour was up, and I thanked him for his time.